All right. We are talking about God's love. Last week we talked about <clears throat> knowing God's love. And this week we're going to talk about experiencing God's love. Now, what's the difference, do you think, between those two? Knowing God's love and experiencing God's love. We talked about the fact that God's love was sovereign. That no matter how we felt about it, God loved us last week. But that's kind of cold comfort to you sometimes, isn't it? Because you want to actually feel his love for you. There are times when you want, when though you know it, and, I mean, and having truth tucked in your back pocket is really helpful, but there's more to it than that. So we need to actually delve deeper into it. By the way, we need to be careful that we don't come to the place where we look on experiences being somehow wrong. Uh, spending our lives looking for experiences, looking for thrills uh, in the Christian life uh, is a problem. But you know what? If my Heavenly Father loves me, I ought to experience it. I ought to know it. It ought to be a reality. It ought to touch my life and change my life uh, in some ways, right? That's a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to tease at our subject. Father, would you bless us tonight, Lord? We love you. Uh, We thank you for loving us. And Lord, would you help us tonight to uh, come into a deeper, richer experience of your love, Lord? Uh, May it not just be truth, Lord, that... Uh, that we know, but Lord, may it be the reality of the fact that we know we are loved by you. Lord, I'm convinced that so many of the problems in the Christian life are caused by the fact that we're uh, not experiencing your love and we're not walking in that relationship with you and not knowing that we can. Now, Lord, would you bless us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The the song we sang tonight, uh, one of the verses said this. It says that we never can know the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. That's the truth. That, the, the, uh, you know, until you, until you surrender all to him, you're not going to understand his love. But did you notice the wording of it? The delights of his love. Now, we know what the delights of love are. We know what the delights of human love are. That touches our hearts and that changes us. But the delights of his love? The delights of this relationship that you have with him? Delighting in him and him delighting in you? Do, do you know that's what he wants for you. That's the reality uh, that he wants in your Christian life. He wants you to delight in his love for you. <clears throat> he wants you to come to the place where that love... When, see, when God tells you that he wants you to love him above all else, right? Uh, he's not asking you to do something that's just dry, hard, gritty, and difficult. He's asking you to do something that if you will give yourself to it, is sweet and blessed and lovely. And is a delight to us. Experiencing God's love. Isaiah 49 verse 14 and 15 says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Now, <clears throat> they're in trouble with, uh, with God. They've, they've gone their own way and done their own thing yet again. Uh, and they're feeling like God has forsaken them. But look what the next verse says. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Well, can can a woman forget her child, the baby uh, <clears throat> that she's uh, given birth to? Uh, can she forget the child so that its, uh, <clears throat> its cry doesn't mean anything to her? Well, well, hardly. We know it's a very crooked, bent world, and it may be possible that uh, somebody gets so lost in their own uh, needs that they forget their child. But there's a picture there that, that, you know, a mother will do anything for her children, basically. It's just almost written in the DNA. But you're you're looking at human beings that have problems and difficulties, and then God is saying to you, yea, they may forget, but I will not forget thee. 
God says he won't forget. Now, <clears throat> Israel is uh, genuinely <clears throat> going through some difficulties right now. And <clears throat> in this situation here, we, ha- we have to take that into account. We're going to have to look at that because the reality is that there are times when there is a shadow between us and God and we don't sense or feel or experience his love. There, there are those times. That's what Israel is going through right now. And what God is saying to them is, <clears throat> listen, uh, <clears throat> I will not forsake you, even though a mother forsake her child. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm quoted one, one verse to you, and, I, and I'm reading the others. Uh, Lamentations 3. What's the picture in the book of Lamentations? We talked about this. What's happening in the book of Lamentations? Ben? He's crying? Yeah, he's sad. Now, why, why is he sad? Do you remember why he's sad? Why? Is Jeremiah right? Why is he sad? Because Israel's ruined, isn't it? God has told Israel, if you don't turn around, I will do this and this and this, and they haven't. And Israel is ruined. And it's a, it really is a rubbish heap. And everything's been destroyed. And um, <clears throat> so Jeremiah is, is weeping in the book of Lamentations, but he's given us this picture too. That God's love will not depart from us. That God will not stop loving us uh, no matter what's going on in our lives. And we need to understand that and lay hold upon that. God's going to love you no matter what. Now, probably everybody in this room has had an occasion at least once uh, when you wanted to feel God's love, but you didn't feel God's love, haven't you? You've had occasions when you felt as though God had forsaken you. And we, we need to understand what the dynamic, what's happening in those situations, because part of it is our thinking. Remember, the oldest lie in the book is, God doesn't love you, he's just holding out on you, that's why he won't let you have the fruit. So you can expect that Satan's going to come to you again and again, but God doesn't love you, uh, he really doesn't care about you, he might care about all the rest, but he doesn't care about you. You can expect the enemy to come to you with that one. And you, you've got to have truth to fight that with. Because your feelings are going to follow the facts. Your feelings are going to follow what you believe to be true. Right? So we've got to help ourselves with truth here, right? So God's love and discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. Let's, let's look there and read those verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Okay? <clears throat> you have it there in front of you. Hebrews 12, verse 5. Let's, let's talk it through here a little bit. Um, <clears throat> My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. What's that commanding us to do? Don't get bent out of shape with God when he chastens you. Now, chastening is discipline. Now, let me just correct one problem in your thinking before we go any further. 
Chastening discipline is not always because you've done something wrong. It can be because you've done something wrong. But there are times when God is just working. I'm going to see a couple of examples of that in a moment now. But there are times when God is just working in your life because he loves you and he wants to bring you on. And that's chasing. So when you feel God's hand, and one of the things that really disturbed me about Christianity when I was first saved was, you know, it seemed like life was harder in some areas. It seemed like there were greater difficulties in some areas. And I was expecting, now I'm one of the good guys. Everything's going to go well and everything's going to go sweetly for me. And that's not the way it worked out. It seemed like sometimes there were, there were greater difficulties in my life. And that was true because God had taken a new interest in me. And God was actually working in my life and God was dealing in my life and there was training going on in my life. And so it felt kind of harder. Now, but the wrong conclusion to come to is that when you're chastened or disciplined, God doesn't love you. That's the wrong conclusion. That's the, the quickest one for us to come to, but it's the wrong conclusion for us to come to. Uh, because look at, look at the next verse there, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Far from chastening and God dealing with you being a sign of him not loving you, he says it's a sign of him loving you. Again, we understand this as parents. As a parent, you'll understand this one. Because if you love your child, you know, you, you, you hate to cause them pain, to make life difficult for them. You, you hate making it hard for them. You, you, you hate spanking. You hate all that because that causes pain. And, the, and there's an effect on the relationship. And you just hate it. Right? But you do. Why? Because you love your child. And you don't want your child to grow up. Uh, with problems that you can help them with. Because the Bible says the foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. Right? And now, <clears throat> the, the, the analogy there of human discipline only goes so far because the reality is that uh, human parents fail all the time in this area. Uh, and you may have been <clears throat> beaten in anger at some point and, and you didn't feel like there was any love in that. And possibly you're right, there was no love involved in that. Right? But... <clears throat> When it's right in, in a parent's heart, it's because of love, right? And God says it's a mark of his love for you and I that he actually steps into our lives and deals with us. When you're doing wrong, he'll step into your life and deal with you. When you're doing right, he'll step into your life and deal with you because there's stuff going on in your heart and in my heart that we're not really aware of, and he steps in and he deals with that stuff. And he, bring, and, and he works on us. And sometimes, you know, it's not that you're doing anything you know to be wrong. But God is stepping in and God is dealing in your life because he loves you. And he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, catch that one there. He deals with all of his children. Because here's one of the other things the enemy will come to you and say, yeah, he does it to you, but he doesn't do it to them. They all, get, they, all, they all get away scot-free, and you get a hard time. He's just picking on you. Right? And we'll think those kind of thoughts, because the enemy will help us think those kind of thoughts. But hang on a minute. The Bible says every son. God deals with all his children. He deals with all his children in different ways. I've got four kids. I mean, <clears throat> I realize the DNA is all the same, uh, <clears throat> basically the same for each one of them, but they're, every one of them are Totally different. 
And any parent knows that. You know, you start dealing with kids and you wonder, I mean, hang on a minute. This is the same DNA, the same home, uh, the same parents, the same uh, environment. How come they're so different? Well, because you know what they are. They're different. And you know what? You end up having to deal with your kids differently because they're all different. You have to catch that one as a parent. You can't just kind of have a one rule fits all because it doesn't work because they're all different. You know, what it takes to make one child do wrong, <clears throat> do right, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> may not work for another child. So you, see God, you know, God knows we're all different. And God knows what it takes to deal with each one of his children. And God is a far superior parent than any human parent. Because God sees all of us. He sees the whys, he sees the influences, he sees everything that's going on in your life, everything uh, that's happening, he sees the effect of all of it. And so when God is dealing with you, he's dealing with you and bringing you to a place that you, you sometimes can't even see. But he's working in your life to bring you to that. And so he takes and he deals with every one of us differently. So don't compare yourself with somebody else. It doesn't help you. It just gets you in the hole. God's not going to deal with you the same as he's going to deal with somebody else. He's going to deal with you individually. We are individuals, and he deals with us individually, and he works in us individually. So stop comparing. You know what? He's he's all wise. Uh, he, he, He has the ability to work out what each one needs. And listen, you just let him at it. And when it comes to your life, he will know what's needed in your life. I will say this to you, though. In the end, and the end may be that day when you look into his face, nobody's going to be saying, you weren't fair to me. Nobody's go- We're all going to be thanking him for what he did in our lives. Because he gets it right. He knows. Remember, one of our basic reasons for trust him is, uh, trusting him is because he's all wise. He knows, right? Okay, uh, <clears throat> so every child is going to get dealt with. We're all going to get dealt with differently. Now, let's look at a couple of examples here. Job. <clears throat> Somebody said that the book of Job is God making a good man better? Because remember, Job, book of Job starts off with Job being a good man. <clears throat> God says of him, uh, you know, he's righteous and he's with evil and there's not a man like him in all the earth. But even though he's good, God steps in and begins to work. And we've talked about this. God didn't step in to, <clears throat> you know, just to, uh, because the, the devil dared him. The devil is just kind of a, he really has a bit parked in that whole thing. God wants to do a work in Job's life. And when, when he comes to the, uh, to the uh, end of it, Job's not being chastened for sin. It costs Job a huge amount, it, it, you know, in terms of life, in terms of all that he had. And yet Job comes to the place where he says, I had heard about you, but now I see you. See, that's what God was after. God was making a good man better. God was dealing with Job in love. Do you know that God only deals in our lives in love? Now listen, God's love can be pretty tough. But God only deals with us in love, ever. Um, <clears throat> Joseph's chastening. <clears throat> what sin do we find Joseph guilty of? Now some will say, well, <clears throat> uh, you know, he was... Um, uh, you know, he, he made his brothers jealous and envious. I don't think that's true. You know, you have to read into the scripture uh, to say that. Joseph was just a kid responding to the revelation God was giving him at the time, and he was just telling them about what was going on. Right? And um, 
the, the, you know, he, he, he's the one, char- one of the few characters in Scripture that we don't find any sin recorded against him. Right? <clears throat> so Joseph's chastening was not for sin. In fact, if we look at um, Joseph's life, his brothers need discipline more than he does, don't they? Those boys, they, I tell you what, they needed something done for them to, to help them. And <clears throat> I think it's not fair to say, by the way, that they didn't get something done for them to help them. I think they did. God took a long time to do it, and a long, went, went a, a very roundabout way of doing it, but he did deal with those boys and brought them to a place of repentance. But <clears throat> the, the, the thought is this, that you know, Joseph wasn't being dealt with because he was doing wrong. He was being dealt with because God was preparing him for something. So two thoughts there, right? First of all, when you see somebody else being dealt with, don't jump the gun and decide, oh, that's because they're wicked. Right? You don't know. You really don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. That's God's job. Leave it to God. Right? Uh, leave it with God. Don't, don't, don't jump the gun and decide that, that, that they're doing something wicked. And secondly, when God is dealing in your life, right, it may not be that you've done something that you know of that's wrong. It may be just simply that God is growing you. And listen, accept it as such. Accept what God is doing in your life. You see, <clears throat> let me read you from the book here. Uh, God cannot forsake us because we are his children in blessed union with his son. We cannot be cut off from his sight. You need to accept that truth. Never will God reject you. You're his child. You're in. You're accepted in the beloved. There's no way. Uh, But we can be cut off from the assurance of his love when we allow doubt and unbelief to gain a foothold in our hearts. Can't we? Those are the times when you get actually cut off from the sense of his love and his belief. Because what you do is you, you, you let unbelief creep in. Now, now, what would unbelief look like in that, in that scene there? What, what would be the thought that would be going through your mind? When you, when you allow unbelief to cut you off from his love. What would be going through your head? And we'd get involved here, folks, right? Lee, what would be going through your head? What might be going through your head? Sorry? Here's what would be going through your head. God doesn't love me. Do you ever buy into that lie? Even for a short time? Do you ever buy into that life for a short time that God doesn't love me? And what happens is that one just erodes your faith. Because remember, your faith is based on the fact that God is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, if God doesn't love you and God doesn't care about you, how are you going to trust him? So what happens is, that, that's a very clever trick by the enemy. You're going, you're going through something that's hard, that's difficult, Right? And the enemy just throws in, it's because he doesn't care about you. Somebody else is getting blessed and you're not. You're going through a trial. It's because God doesn't care about you. And by the way, we actually help the enemy sometimes perpetrate that on each other, don't we? You know, we actually push that one on each other. I remember reading, reading about hashtag blessed. Um, you know, where, 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 when, we, when we say we're blessed... 
right? What we're doing is we're trying to make out, you know, God loves me. And by implication, he doesn't love you as much. Now, look, you can't judge everybody's heart on that, but you know what? So often that's, what, that's what's going on for us. I'm special, I'm blessed. No, I'm not special. I am blessed, though. You see, here's the, here's the thing. He loves every one of us. He couldn't love us more. He loves every one of us because we're his children and we're in. And you see, if you don't get that truth in your, in your, in your head and in your heart, uh, you end up questioning his love for you and you end up in a place where, you know, the enemy can use it against you. And then you stop feeling loved. Let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you this uh, to to be bold and declare something with your hand here, right? How many of you can say there have been times when I felt the love of God and I really felt it? All right, so most of us have. We probably all have at some point, right? Uh, Times when when you have just felt his love and it was real to you. Now, do do you know he wants that? He wants you to feel his love. And do you know the, the wrinkle that comes between us? And feeling his love is unbelief. Unbelief creeps in and we don't feel that he loves us. I mean, I'm sure Job had a hard time feeling the love of God when he looked at the, uh, you know, the chaos and the catastrophe around him. I'm sure he had a hard time. But you know what? <clears throat> when he questioned and he didn't believe, he had a hard time. But when he trusted he rose to incredible uh, heights of faith. <clears throat> when he said... <clears throat> When he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What was he saying? I'm going to believe in him, no matter what he does, because I know he's good. <clears throat> and I know I shall see him. So what he did was he decided, and there's, there's bold faith where he's trusting the love of God, even though he doesn't feel it. And here's what happens when you trust the love of God, even though you don't feel it, you end up feeling it. Do you get that? That when you actually step out and you trust, even though you don't feel, you end up feeling. <clears throat> okay. Um, does God care? Does God understand, <clears throat> understand or care about my pain? Does he sit on a lofty mountaintop and tell us to stop belly aching and to get on with it as others often do? Now, don't we do that to each other? What's your problem? Just get on with it. Everybody's got troubles. Just keep quiet. Don't we do that to each other? You know, and again, uh, sometimes the problem for us is an earthly father who was perhaps uh, on the cruel side, and maybe he did something like this to you and told you maybe act like a man uh, and do the business, and so you ended up feeling like he didn't care, and then you kind of transpose that onto God. And God doesn't care either. Right? Um, Does he understand when we feel like we can't pray? You're supposed to be able to pray, aren't you? Does he understand? Um, When we feel so low, we want to die. Does he understand when it all seems pointless? When we feel we can't go on? Does God, like an angry parent, say, if you don't stop crying, I will give you something to cry about? (laughs) Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? That that's what he's effectively saying to us. And other people, sometimes their counsel will be uh, something similar. But does God care? Does God understand how you're feeling on those moments when it all unravels for you? Those moments when you're not letting anybody else see it because that would be too embarrassing, that would be uh, too painful to let somebody else see it. 
Well, let's look at some verses that will help us. First of all, let's talk for a second about Elijah <clears throat> in 1 Kings 19. And we won't go there and read the whole chapter because it would take us too long. Remember 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. They have the contest on Mount Carmel, and uh, he prays down fire. They can't. They're, they're, uh, their sacrifice stays. All the prophets of Baal are killed. And then uh, <clears throat> Elijah runs before Ahab's chariot and arrives in, <clears throat> um, in, in Jericho, Jericho before, uh, before Ahab gets there, right? And then what happens? Jezebel sends him that little love note, doesn't she? And she tells him she's going to kill him. And he blows it royally. And he takes off running with his servant, and he wants to die, and he tells God, I'm the only one left. Well, why don't you just kill me? Because you know what? Uh, there's no point to all this. And, and um, how does God treat him? How does God deal with him? He sends an angel to bring him water and to feed him. Twice. And then he takes him out, and he speaks to him. And he helps this man and encourages him and lifts him up. Now, Elijah blew the revival. It was all happening. He was the central party of the whole thing. And he blew it all. And, he, you know, you, you, you want to say, well, God should have been mad with him. God should have sorted him out. But God tends him and takes care of him very carefully. Why? Because God knows what people like Elijah feel like. God knows what you and I feel like. God understands. We're weak. We're frail. We get it wrong. He understands. He doesn't come down on us like a ton of bricks. He doesn't. I get fed up with us. See, God cares. God understands because he has been there and he wants to help you to do right in spite of the way you feel. Now catch that. God does not want you to run with how you feel and say, oh, well, I can't do anything. Because how you feel can be a pretext for you doing absolutely anything. You can, you, you can, well, I feel so bad, I have to do something to make myself feel better. You can do anything at that point. God does not want you to run with that. He doesn't want you to go after, let your feelings drive your life. Here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to come to him with it. Hebrews 4, verse 14 and 16. <clears throat> Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Who's the great high priest? Jesus, yeah. He's our great high priest, right? Uh, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our profession. The problem for the Hebrews is uh, the, the, that, that Paul is writing to here is that they don't want to turn back. They're fed up. Uh, Christianity is too hard, and they want to go back to the old ways because it was easier. And um, <clears throat> he's, he's convincing them all the way through the book. No, 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 no. You've got something far better in Jesus, right? So he says, <clears throat> let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Right? Now, here's what that means. Is that there's a double negative in there, and a double negative is a positive. Right? What he's saying is there, we have a high priest which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be touched with the feeling of your infirmities? Don't you feel weak sometimes? The guys never show it. No, we're tough. We're always tough. We never, never show the fact that we feel weak. But, you know, just between you and God, or you don't even have to nod or wink or anything else. Don't you sometimes feel weak? 
very weak? Don't you sometimes feel like you haven't got a handle on it at all? It's all coming undone. And you, you're supposed to know how to put it together, but you don't. I says, we have a high priest, Jesus, that knows how that feels. He understands how that feels. Ladies, he understands how, the, uh, how it feels when the emotions are all over the place. He understands. He knows how it feels. He can be touched. He can be, actually, he can, he can be touched and in a sense he can touch. He knows what those feelings feel like, right? <clears throat> but he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The difference between him and us is not that he wasn't touched with how we feel. It's what he did with how we feel. He refused to sin. He refused to do wrong. He knows how we feel, but he didn't take it and run with it and do wrong. Uh, <clears throat> yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now what's that saying to you? What's that saying? Come boldly before the throne of grace that you may uh, <clears throat> obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's that talking about? When you feel weak and empty and lonely and foolish and broken and a loser and all the rest, God says, come. Come to me. I know how that feels. I understand how you feel in those moments. Come boldly. I will help you. I will show you mercy. I will give you grace, my supernatural enabling. Come to me. The enemy will tell you, no point you're going to him, you're such a loser, he doesn't care. But that's not true. God says, come, come to me in that moment. The enemy will tell you when you're in need to run from Jesus. But God says, don't run from, run to, come to me. Come to me, I will help you. Here's the thing, we have somebody who knows what it feels like to be you living in the 21st century with all the troubles and the pains that you're going through, he's felt those feelings. By the way, let me say this to you. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan himself did the tempting. Do you think he had a few tricks up his sleeve that uh, nobody's ever tried on you? Yeah, he did. He tried absolutely every angle possible to get the Lord Jesus to sin. He went after him and after him and after him for 40 days. He tried everything that, that he could. He, sh he tried every lie, every deception. We, we, we get the three uh, that Jesus <coughs> uh, responded to with truth, with Scripture. But you know what? He went after him and after him. And then at the end of it all, it says, and so the devil left him for a season. He wasn't dumb with him. Jesus suffered every temptation that's possible for you to suffer. Everyone. And he suffered it at the hands of Satan. So he knows. He understands how you feel. And he says he wants you to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Isn't that a great invitation? So when you feel like God doesn't love you and you feel like you're the last per person on the earth and you feel like you've got to give in to sin and you've got to do wrong and so on, what does God say? God says, come boldly to me. I will help you. I've been through it before you. I, I will help you. Bring it to me. 
Yeah, I love Psalm 142, where it says that David poured out his complaint before the Lord. He was on his own. Nobody cared about him. Uh, humanly speaking, he was the, uh, the king was out to get him. Nobody wanted to know him. They were afraid to, <clears throat> to, to know him. And um, he poured out his complaint to the Lord. He just brought it all to him and laid it all before him. You know what? Good for you and I to do that sometimes. Good for you and I to take our complaint and pour it all out before him. Now, David catches it right in faith because oh, what he does as he goes through the psalm, um, he, 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 he recognized the fact that, that, that I will praise your name for the help of your countenance, you know, for the righteous will compass me about. And there's faith. He's saying, God, you're going to reward me. I'm going to be okay. And I'm, I'm going to be in a different place someday. But it feels horrible now, and I'm glad I can come to you and tell you all about it and get some help from you. Be good for us to learn to do that. The enemy will always come to you and say to you, listen, <clears throat> you're low, uh, <clears throat> you failed, you need to run. And God always says, you know, come to me. I will help you. I want to help you in your time of need. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying, and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, right? Do you realize that when Jesus was in the garden, he felt the pain of the cross before he felt it? He felt the pain of the rejection of the Father before it actually happened. And he cried out and he said, save me from it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go through it. And any of us would have done that too. But <clears throat> he was heard but did the Father take it away from him? Was Jesus loved? Even that, did the Father take it away from him? No. And aren't you glad he didn't? Aren't you glad that <clears throat> Jesus went through it all? Now, he went through it all willingly. He wasn't forced. He went through it willingly. But aren't you glad that he didn't back off from it and that the Father didn't say, okay, son, that, that, that's too much for you. Don't, don't bother doing it. Because you and I would be on our way to hell. If he had done, he was heard, right? <clears throat> uh, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And that's one of the most amazing phrases in the Bible. The son learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And I don't think I can get my head fully around it as far as he's concerned. But I think I can take the application from me and for you. Do you know <clears throat> that the things that you and I suffer actually teach us to obey and to submit. If I could have a nice, easy, happy life, I would. I would arrange all the little pieces of my life to make my life nice and happy and easy, and I'd be ruined. And I'd go my own way and do my own thing. That's what would happen. But you know what? God's a master at stepping into my life at the right times uh, with the scalpel, and creating a cup that hurts. And he's a master at doing it in your life too, isn't he? And do you know that you need it? That's how you learn to submit and to walk with him. You need those things in, in your life. <clears throat> and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. <clears throat> all right, now, 
Let me see if we can get through this, right? First of all, he has been touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Uh, He has been touched. The Greek word there is sympathes or sympathy, to enter into the feeling and experience of his heartache yourself. Do you know that God enters into the experience and the feeling of your heartache? And you think, no, pastor, that's kind of just, that's, that's wishful thinking. No, that's what it says. He's been touched by the feeling of your infirmities. He knows what it feels like to be you. We have a high priest who is able to suffer with us. Listen, <clears throat> men's home's a great place for somebody to go and detox. And you know why? Because all the guys gather around. They know what it feels like, and they help each other. Is that true? When you're going through it, having people around, I could go up to the men's home and pat you on the shoulder and bring a, bring a cloth and put it on your head and so on. But what do I know? Isn't it different when it's somebody who's been through it? And isn't there a two-way thing that goes on there? Because you feel their pain, and they feel your pain, and it helps. That's what we're talking about here with Jesus. He feels your pain, and... You feel that he feels your pain, and it helps. It just, that's what it's talking about. We have a, a high priest who can suffer with us. Our infirmities are our weakness, moral and physical, that dispose us to sin. The problems that keep tripping us up, the hurt and the pain that we can't get over, the weakness that keeps drawing you to sin so that you feel almost ashamed to come to God. He knows what it feels like. He knows what those infirmities are. And remember, there's a difference between him and you. He never gave in to them. But he knows exactly what it feels like. And by the way, because he never gave in to them, he has given you power that ultimately you don't have to give in to them either. Right? But that's not deny, to deny the feelings. Because you know what? If you, didn't, if you deny your feelings, you're in trouble. And we do that sometimes uh, as Christians. Well, <clears throat> you know, because I'm a believer and because uh, I love God, I'm supposed to be on top of it all, so I don't feel that. Now, you know what you're doing there? You're stuffing your feelings. And when you stuff your feelings, they're going to surface somewhere. And probably not in a, very <clears throat> in a very good place for you. You can't deny your feelings, but you can bring them to him. And he can sympathize with you because he feels those feelings too but he can also show you how not to go with the feelings. Right? <clears throat> so he's been touched with the feelings. He was tempted in all points, but did not sin. He understands and has been touched by all that you were going through, but he never sinned. I want to follow a leader like that, someone who has been there and conquered. Isn't that the way we are? You know, <clears throat> you know, when you want to do something and you want a teacher, you don't want a teacher who can't do it. You want a teacher who can actually do it. You want to follow somebody who can actually do it. I mean, if you're going into battle, you don't want to go into battle uh, with somebody who's terrified and their knees shake as soon as the uh, guns start going off. You want to go in there with somebody who's actually done it before you. Jesus has been there and he's conquered. You can follow him in. You can expect that he will actually take you through it and work it out. And you can come boldly before the throne of grace. He has been there, so he understands. He has conquered so he can help, and he tells us to come boldly before his throne for help. Now, why does he say boldly? Do you think maybe the, maybe the, uh, the, the translators just added in boldly for the fun of it? 
Or do you think God meant that to be in there? To come boldly before the, He could have, could, have, could have easily have said, uh, so that you can come before the throne of grace to obtain help. Why did he say boldly? Because he wants you to be strengthened and emboldened, and he wants you to dare to march in there and say, Lord, I need help. I need help. I am struggling. I can't bear this pain. I can't bear what I'm going through right now. Lord, I need help. What would you please help me? He wants you to pour it all out and let him know about it. And he says, I'm giving you an invitation. Come boldly before my throne of grace for help. Now, I wonder, do we do that? Do we do that or do we try and bottle it up sometimes? Do we try and keep it all in, stuff it all in? I think we do, don't we? I I think we try and deny the fact that we've got um, uh, things inside us that are not the way we'd want them to be. I think we try and deny sometimes the, the, the tendency to sin. Now, now, now mark it. I, I'm not in any sense saying, you know, okay, so I feel like I've got to sin, I've got to sin. No. But you've got to actually face up to what's going on inside you, and then you've got to take it and go boldly to the throne of grace to obtain help. You've got to face what's, what's happening inside yourself. You, you can't ignore it uh, long term. If you do, it's going to destroy you. You see, there is somebody who wants to help you if you'll let him help you. Right? And here's what David Seaman says. He says, of all the words, words for the incarnation, the greatest title is Emmanuel, God with us. God is in it with us. Better still, God, having gone through it himself, knows how to be in it and feel it with us. That is why we can come boldly. We can draw near with confidence. God doesn't say you can come guiltily or you can come shamefacedly. You never need to feel there's something wrong with me because I'm having this depression. I'm not spiritual. There are cruelties. These are cruelties we Christians often inflict on one another, and they are not biblical. We are to bring our hurts and our feelings of infirmity to a Savior who understands and cares and wants to help. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that glorious between you and him? You see, here's what we're getting at. There are times when you don't feel he loves you. And the reason you don't feel he loves you is because you look inside yourself and you wouldn't love yourself if you were him. And he says, I know how you feel. I I understand the feelings that caused you to sin. I understand the failure. I understand the emptiness. I understand the problems and the difficulties. I understand all of it. I can feel it with you. Why don't you come to me? Why don't you come to me and let me help you straighten it out? Why don't you come to me and let me show you how you can straighten it out. You don't have to do the things you've done. You don't have to do it over and over again. Now, <clears throat> there's a choice for us in that. When he says, come boldly before the throne of grace, either we're going to say, amen, I needed to hear that, that's what I need, and I'm going to go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain help. And I'm going to be helped. And me being helped does not mean I go away the same way I came. Me being helped means 
Okay, so he understands, he knows how I feel. He didn't sin, he's going to help me not to sin too. Do you realize that's what Christianity is? Christianity is not just fire insurance. It's God enabling you not to live the way you did. But you've got to come to him. And you've got to come to him wanting help. You see, sometimes what we say is we say, <clears throat> well, yeah, if I went to him with it, he'd probably change it. And I wouldn't be able to do it anymore. I'm going to keep, I, I, I don't, I, I'll go to him eventually, but not today. No way. Sometimes we hold on to sin because we like it. Sometimes we hold on to the problems because we, we like them. Even, even the problems that are, <clears throat> that are hard on us, we hold on to them because we don't want to deal with them. We don't want to get them sorted out. We, we kind of like them. You know, <clears throat> gets to the place where uh, even the pain we kind of hold on to because we like. You say, that's crazy. It is. But we do it. And he says, why don't you come to me? Come boldly before the throne of grace. I care about you. I love you. Let me sort it with you. Let me <clears throat> show you my love in it. And let me bring you to a place where you don't have to live like that anymore. Right? <clears throat> and that's the only real way for any of us to change. It's him. We can't change ourselves. Nobody else can change you either. That's the frustration of anybody that, uh, that, that seeks to help people. You can't help anybody. You can't change anybody. It's not possible. But he can. He has the power, and he gives the invitation. And if you will take that which is bothering you and pulling you down and causing you to fail and causing you grief and bringing you into depression and hurting you, you will take it. And you will go boldly before the throne of grace for the purpose of obtaining help. Then you will find somebody who understands, who's been there before you, and who can show you the way out if you want it. But really, it's if you want it. Any questions tonight? <clears throat> okay. Sorry, let, let me finish off this here. Uh, he wants to help you get the victory over sin. He does not just want to sympathize with you. He wants to give you grace, God's enabling power to do right. He listens, understands, enters into your pain, and then he gently directs you out of the problem, and if you will go, he will give you the power to do it. Right? That's what he does for us. If you will go, do you really want to go, though? See, this... this <clears throat> There's the power of the living God dwelling within you to enable you to live differently. If you come, you don't have to live the old way. Just come and avail of that power. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this, dear people. Now, Lord, I think you're working in hearts. Would you help your people to come to you? And all blessed spirit of the living God, would you do a work so deep that we are changed and that we are made different and that our lives are different because you know, you understand 
And you have the power to help us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.